And so with that, we'll, we'll conclude this book of Peter. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, for um, this letter of Peter. I thank you for this dear brother of ours in Christ. Um, Lord, I thank you that, um, that you preserved his story, Lord, here in the pages. Uh, I see a man who is zealous, a man who has failed, a man who uh, gets out ahead of you in many respects and is humbled. Lord, we see that you um, forgive him, you restore him, you work with him, you're patient with him. And Lord, that gives me hope. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of kindness, a God who works in us and through us. And so, Father, as we uh, conclude this book, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us today, Lord, that you would encourage us through these words, that you would help us, Lord, to um, to think clearly um, about our world and our life. Father, we do, um, Lord, as your word calls us, Lord, we do have an election this Tuesday across our nation. Lord, we, we ask that you would help um, our nation, Lord, to, um, to honor you. Um, Lord, we know that you work in mysterious ways. And so, Lord, as we vote, um, we ask, Lord, that you would work in us, Lord, that regardless of the outcome, Lord, that we would draw closer to you. We would trust you more and more. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. And Father, we do thank you again for this word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us now to understand what it means, Lord, to see how it applies, and that we ultimately... Coming at you hard with a legal defense. There's this imagery of the, the devil who, who's prowling like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. This, this imagery is, is powerful. Um, I don't know if you guys, I remember when they, at the zoo, when they opened up the elephant exhibit, the new, the new elephant exhibit. And when you start, when you get through the first part, you come to where the lion's on display. Now, all of the other times I'd been to the zoo in the wild animal park, the lions were sort of on the distance. And there's always this side of me like, how much to hop off the tram and to like run across the valley and see if I can get unscathed through the lions. Because they don't seem that bad when you're far away. They just look like little itty bitty kitty cats, you know, like cute. Like, oh, you want to come play? Like, but then when they open this exhibit of the elephant exhibit, before you get to the elephants, there's the lion. And the first time I came there, there's like the glass, but then there's like, like a volleyball net. It doesn't really look that secure. I'm sure they've tested it and everything, but it's like literally a net. And there was a male lion when I first walked by, just like walking back and forth of that net. And he would start roaring. And it was the, I mean, I was scared. I was like, kids, I don't think that this net looks like... I, 
I mean, they were always saying that they're like low on their budget. Like, I don't know how much, like, did they, did they skimp on the net? This just looks like a volleyball net to me. And the thing is like going back and when that, if you've ever heard a lion roar close, it's horrifying. I mean, it's, we look at our little kitty playing with a mouse. We think, oh, that's so cute. It's so like, but imagine that that little cat of yours is, can do that with you. Not good. And I see this, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to run across the valley. I, I know somewhere years ago, they had asked, like, you know, Kenyans, if you follow marathons, it seems like the Kenyans are always running the marathons, winning the marathons. And, and in an interview of one of these Kenyans, they asked him, hey, why, why is it that Kenyans are, like, dominating the marathon industry? And they're like, well, it just helps when you're a kid and you see signs, beware of lions. We run a lot, you know. And I, <laughs> And in context, if you think of the lion, and what, when Peter writes this, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What did Nero do to the Christians? He threw them to the lions. These Christians saw often, had a loved one that was thrown into the lions and saw a loved one, a friend, a person, devoured, torn apart, hacked to death, by a lion. This, this, this image suddenly goes from being, God, oh, that's kind of funny, to like, this isn't good. Like, and he takes this image of, of, of a lion that they had seen, that they had their own lives in following Christ, that they were at risk to being devoured by the lion. And he uses this image of, of a real picture that they had fear of And he says, your adversary, this attorney who's coming after you with all of the resources, the devil prowls around seeking someone to devour. This is, um, it's kind of a a sobering note. Um, What do we know about the adversary? Um, You don't have to turn with me, but in Ephesians 4.27... Some of the things that we learn about his tactics in Ephesians 4, verse 27, we read this. Um, well, I'll back up to verse 26. Actually, I'll go up to verse 25. I, I studied really, guys. So I just. Verse 25, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak. Truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. And so the first thing I learned about the devil is this opportunity, it could almost be like a handhold or a foothold. I don't know how many of you know rock climbers, but rock climbers, I, I don't like rock climbing. I've been forced to do it a number of times in my old, like in my old life, I had to rock climb and, and I've met some rock climbers and you're on this rock and you're going to go and how am I supposed to get up? Or you get like a third of the way up and you're like, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do here. They're like, Use, use the handhold. And it's like looking at the wall, and they're like, just look at the handhold. And I'm like... <laughs> and they'll point to like this little, little, like, it could be a bump, it could be a hole, and they'll like wedge their finger. If it's too small, they'll put their pinky in, and then they'll just kind of wedge it in there, and they'll pull themselves up, and it's like, I can't do that. <laughs> like, I don't know how in the world you... That's not a handhold, that's a flat spot. And they're like, no, no, trust me, it's there. It, or there's one over there, if you can just get your pinky toe of your foot over there, you can get it in there. I don't know how they do it. Like, I, I, I really don't. Um, but this is the sort of the picture that Paul in Ephesians paints. He says that anger, your sin, he, he goes to well, like verse 25 things, falsehood, um, how you treat your neighbors, members of one another, being angry, yet do not sin. Like all of these things in, in your flesh are opportunities. If you follow your flesh, these are handholds that the devil will use and he can he can grab hold of and masterfully 
take you down a path. And so as he's prowling around, the Bible warns us to to be cautious in your own heart, in your own life, how you're leading your life. I think this is how so many people start out following Christ and then they get a little bit, are three avenues of danger. There's, there's literally Satan and his army. There's our own flesh, even as Christians, that we struggle with. And then there's the world that's outside of us that entices us. And between these three things... Or those two things, any one of these, being angry, uh, speaking maliciously, gossiping, these are, it's interesting that the word devil, there's there's another aspect of the word devil that means malicious gossip, which is sort of takes gossiping or speaking about others to a whole new level. Um, But there are these little things that we think, well, I can just, I can just have a little bit of anger. I can have this little thing and, and the devil just is going to put his meat hook in you. And he's going to take you off, off course. And, and Paul here says, don't give the devil an opportunity. So how we live our lives, we need to be very careful in our relationships, in how we view things. This election is a great example. Whatever side you're on, just imagine that the whole side just takes over everything. And I think many Christians are so off course with politics. We've turned politics into our religion. And I think that that's a major foothold that devil is steering you off course. How we speak about each other. So, okay, before I get, for time's sake, I'll just not dwell here forever. (laughs) There are these little things in our lives, and I would examine your heart, your life. What areas in your life have you sort of opened up so that Satan has a handhold, an opportunity with you? And don't even think like big, huge things. I'd even think like little, small things like those rock climbers that can just take their pinky and jab it up there and pull their whole weight up. That's all he needs. If I'm running from that line at the zoo, if I let my, if I was to actually take my imagination and let it go, and it was like, hey, give me 30 seconds with him. I bet I can outrun him. I bet I can get somewhere. I bet as he swiped his claw, he only needs his little pinky claw to just barely prick me and it's game over for me. I mean, I've watched enough National Geographic to know how they take over those little, like, antelopes. The next thing I see, if you go over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you turn with me, it's just working our way back to Peter. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, this one's interesting to me. This is in the selection of an elder for the church. We've looked at this a, a number of times. Um, I always warn people, don't, when it starts talking about the calling of a pastor, don't disengage yourselves thinking it doesn't apply to you because um, good pastors normally are people who are good Christians. And so in looking amongst Christians, one of the things, the warning in verse 7, it says, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into approach and the snare of the devil. So, So here... There's this idea that the, that the person, when they're looking at the church leadership, they say he needs to be a mature believer, not necessarily age, like uh, birthday age, but your maturity, your walk with the Lord. As you appoint a guy, be, be careful to select a, a mature man, not a new convert, because, and he has to have a good reputation with the outside world, because if, if you... If you don't choose wisely, he's, he's prone to fall into a trap. And see, so already, we, before we saw this whole idea, don't give the devil, devil an opportunity that you can, you can open up footholds in your life. But then we see about Satan that he sets sort of like a snare. Like this is like what hunters would use where they'd set the trap, they'd leave it, and then they'd come back and check their traps. And so from this, we see that Satan has left little traps all around for us to sort of fall into. And I think this comes to the, our sinful nature, the world, these things that sort of draw us off. And Paul here says, when you select a pastor, make sure he's, he's been knocked down a couple times. Make sure that he's mature so that he's not going to be led off course by 
fame, glory, power, prestige, whatever it is, you know, all the things that come with being a pastor, you know, that's, that was a joke. That was, you know, that's a, um, if we turn the page, we see the same thing over in second Timothy two twenty six. So the next book over second Timothy two twenty six. here, uh, mm, I want to figure, yeah, start at 24. Okay, let's start at verse 24. The Lord's bondservant, and this is all of us, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God might grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So here's the same picture of the snare that somebody has fallen into. What I love about this is while there's that trap, it's not a a lifelong sentence. It is there's a way out of it. Um, Going back to 1 Peter. So from 1 Peter... Chapter 5, we see the, the, the warning here. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's just prowling the earth. He's doing all sorts of stuff. We see that he looks for footholds of opportunity that people give him. He cannot look into your heart. He's not God. He's not omniscient. He can't see your thought. He doesn't know your thoughts. He doesn't know your actions. Or he doesn't know, not your actions. He doesn't know your, um, your intentions. He's a created being, but he's been playing his game for a very long time, and we haven't. We've only been here for a a nanosecond. And so we see that he looks for opportunities of sin externally that people are doing that he could get a foothold in their life, that he sets these traps that we could fall into. And so how do we handle this threat? Peter makes it very clear that this adversary is real. And in the English, I see it starts out with be, be of sober spirit. And I think from my mind, like, why doesn't he just, see, I kind of redid what Peter wrote, right? I, I put Satan and the lion first. That's the first thing I talked about. Now I'm, now I'm looping back to the very first part of this verse. Be of sober spirit. Now, in the Greek, if you want to emphasize something, you can put it in the front of the se- sentence. Uh, very much like a German mind. It doesn't really, the order of the words don't matter. You just go, where's the verb and where's everything? If you want to highlight or emphasize something, you can put it towards the front of the sentence. And so these two commands early on, I think, are to sort of uh, to, to highlight our response. But, but I don't want to forget how this ties to the previous verse. Look at verse 7. This, this verse has been blessing me for weeks now. When I look at all of Peter, when I, one of the things I take away from Peter, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All of the things that God has asked us to do in following him requires faith as we step out by faith and we follow him by faith. That means that there's some sort of felt risk that there's an opportunity for failure, for whatever. It goes against the wisdom of our age. And it, create, it can create some anxiety. And we're commanded to cast all your anxiety on Him be, because He cares for you. He wants you when you're stressed out, when you're worried, when you're concerned, to call out to Him, to seek help from Him. And the reason that He wants us to do because He cares for you. I don't think there's any more powerful or simple message in the whole of the Bible. God cares for you. And then from this, he says, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. The the reason is because Satan is real. Satan is looking to destroy your confidence in God, to destroy the truth that God cares for you. To tell you, oh, yeah, Jesus didn't really pay for all of your sin. Don't you remember when you had that? You can fill in the blank with the thing that lingers over your head. I have plenty of that. 
seriously, that God, that Satan will use to disqualify you from, from serving or walking with him. God says, I cared for you. We're going to see he's the God of all grace. But there is a true enemy in this. There's a true battle raging in our midst. And so we're to be of sober spirit. To set the mood, not, not, I don't think it's dealing with alcohol. They, I mean, although the Bible definitely calls us to be sober, but it's the idea of be awake, be alert, be aware that there's a war raging for your soul. There is a war raging for each of the souls in this room right now to steer us away from God. When God reveals to us in Revelation other places the, the picture of what's going on, we see that there's an accuser, and that's Satan, this, this attorney that's trying to make his case before God that you should be condemned. But we're told that there's this great advocate, Christ Jesus there. He's won the case. It's a foolish argument. It's like a two-year-old trying to convince you to have the 17th piece of candy on all. He said, no, there's no, there's no debate here. Like it's over. But we're called to, to be aware of this. We're called to be on the alert. I should have had you stay in Ephesians. You can go back there. If you want to, you don't have to. But one of my favorite passages in the, in the Bible is Ephesians five fifteen and 16 through 17. This call to be of sober spirit, to be on the alert. Don't just drift through life. We're told, therefore, be careful how you walk, living your life, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul makes this huge case that being sober, being on the alert, that when you wake up, that we should be seeking God. That song we say, that old hymn, when I rise in the morning and I forget the rest of the words, there's this beautiful pitch. When I rise, I call out to him. When I rise, Lord, give me wisdom today. As I'm going through my life, as I'm interacting with people, as situations are coming up, we live in a world, the world is not basically good. The world is darkness. Paul tells us in Ephesians that you were darkness, not even that you were formerly in darkness, but that you were formerly were that that the world around us is dark. And we need to walk soberly, diligently, being on the alert, seeking that God would give us wisdom. He goes on to say, so be of sober spirit, be on the alert, and then to re- resist him. So while you're here, go over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So we know Satan is out there roaring around like a lion, trying to, to devour us. We know that our sinfulness, our lust of this world, create handholds where Satan can get a hold of us. We know that Satan leaves traps for us. And in 1 Corinthians 10.13, this is one of the most um, mis- misinterpreted scriptures, I think, in the Bible. This is the scripture where people say, hey, where's that in the Bible where God says he won't give you more than he, you can handle? Hate to break it, guys. That verse doesn't exist. <laughs> you can't handle much on your own apart from Christ. We need him totally and completely. Now this verse says, verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. If you're so confident in your walk with God, that means that there's pride there, there's footholds, you've fallen into a a snare. You probably have a snare and Satan has a handhold in you. If you think that you're good enough and you're just doing great, going through life with no problems. Then verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you. But such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation provide the way of escape also, so that you will be will be able to endure it. See now this isn't saying God won't give you more than you can handle, like to get through anything. What it's saying is temptation. Whatever thing you're being tempted with, what you're struggling with, these snares that Satan sort of lays out, 
They're all common to, to humans. And, and God is faithful, and he'll, he'll provide a way out. And I love this, that um, he will provide the way of escape also. Grace McHale is in a play, and I went, we went and saw it as a family. It's one of our family's favorite, down, and it's uh, um, Joseph in the amazing Technicolor drive for you lose the you know, Technicolor dream coat. I've had the songs in my head ever since. And uh, there's always a scene with, like, I just love, like, it's the like Joseph and Potiphar's wife. That she's coming after him like a madwoman. And all he can do, like, literally, he has to flee from her, leaving his jacket. And he got caught. But, but sometimes the temptations to struggle, God's faithful, but it's like, don't just go subject yourself to these temptations. Like, you might have to leave. There might be, I've had relationships I've had to walk away from, to depart from. There's shows I've had to stop watching. There's music I've had to stop listening to. There's all sorts of things in my life that I've had to flee from because they kept cycling me back into trouble. There's family relationships I've had to break from. I literally have had to walk away with a lot of my family because I wanted to break the generational cycle that was going on. Painful. But I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I think that's a song, right? I got one. But so as we face these temptations, these footholds, God's faithful. There's a way out. You can, you can resist Satan. You can, sometimes it's flee. Just put on your running shoes and get out of Dodge as fast as you can. If we, as we work our way back to Peter, the book right before Peter is James. And in James chapter 4, verse 7, James, Jesus' half-brother, He says a lot of the same stuff that Peter writes about. Actually, let's, let's, let's start in verse 6, because last week Peter quotes from this verse. Actually, let's go to verse 5. How much do I want to cover? How much time do I have? Let's go back to verse 1. This is really just such a great like passage. Uh, and I think it all applies. Like, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures or passions that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So you may spend it on your own pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that your friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Let that one sink in. He says that as a Christian, you have the spirit of God within you. And when it comes to living your life, when it comes to praying, you're kind of going to your husband and asking for some money so that you can go have an affair with this world. Like the term adulteresses, that is a strong word. And here James sort of makes this, this case that you're in your faith, in your walk with God, you're, you're praying and you're living your life in a way that is actually going against God. I think this came alive to me most, one night um, many, year, many years ago. Um on a different continent continent, in a land far away. I found myself drinking a lot of, of high-end alcohol in a high rollers room in a casino and sort of like praying to God that when I hit, the right card would come because I had lots of money on the table. And at the time, it sort of just hit me all of a sudden, like, I'm sitting here drinking like a $100 glass of scotch with like $5,000 on this hand at blackjack. 
And I just doubled down. And I'm saying, dear Lord, can you please give me a face card? An ace would be great, but I don't want to ask for too much, you know? And it's sort of just, you are an adulteress. Like, who do you think you... Like, that's an extreme story. It's a true story. I wish it wasn't. I don't have the gift of moderation, so I've, got, like, I've cut that all out. I, I, don't, I don't deny that living in Valley Center is a great temptation for me. All these lovely casinos that I have stayed away from. But, but it's a pool. I, I mean, I'm being... Like, there is a pool there. I love gam. Yeah, I love blackjack. So then what I do is I play it on my phone. I lose a bunch of money. I go, okay. (laughs) Glad it was just play money, not the real thing. But in that moment, I was a Christian. And I'm praying for something that's like ridiculous. Like according to this passage, I'm, I'm, I'm the lady who's about to go on a date with her boyfriend, but I need money. So I go to my husband and say, hey, can you give me 50 bucks so I can take my boyfriend out to dinner? That's the language that's used here. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 5, where do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He joyously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But this is the part that just is wonderful. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. You can go back to Peter. This is exactly almost the same thing that Peter just wrote last week. Look at verse 6 in Peter. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. It's the same picture. Resist Satan. If you're struggling, get on your knees and pray and ask God to help. If you find yourself walking into the same trap over and over and over again, you might have to make some same choices, or not same choice, some difficult choices. Too many files up in my brain. The same comes from, it was Einstein who says that if you keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result, that's what? Insanity. And yet we keep doing the same thing, praying to God, Lord, will you just stop this? Would you help me to not have this anymore? Would you break the cycle of my family? Well, maybe you have to stop this. Draw near to God. He is faithful. Run from the situation that keeps causing you to fall into a pit. And I love the community here. Peter's writing this huge body of believers in modern-day Turkey. He addresses no, which we'll look at later, he addresses no, like, one person because he's sending it to a whole body of churches. And as he encourages them, writing from Rome, but resist and firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren in the world. This is one of those, Ben and I were laughing earlier this week, is when you, you know, there are people who pride themselves on like teaching the whole Bible. They'll say, oh man, I've taught from Genesis to like Revelation. Their sermons are totally documented in commentaries. And then you go to like their commentary and they're like whole portions of scripture just not even addressed. (laughs) It happens more often than you think. This is sort of one of these passages. I'm like, what is he saying here? Like, not a lot of guys, like, I'm going through trying to figure out, what is he saying? 
knowing that the experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Like, what does that say? Like, how is that supposed to be encouraging? The phrase that comes to my mind is from my SEAL days of the whole misery likes company. Like, we have like, is that okay? So there are other people who are suffering. But then the whole picture of sort of community. J. Vernon McGee says this. I really liked what he had to say. He says, the picture here is, is, of, is of an army standing against an enemy. We should stand with other believers. I do not think you can resist the devil by yourself. You only need the armor of um, you not only need the armor of God, but you will also need other believers to stand with you. The whole local church being involved in church family is critical. This isn't a place where we put on our 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 Sunday clothes in this facade. Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? Oh, good, good, good. How are you doing, brother? Then start throwing out all our Christianity like or Christianese, praise the Lord and hallelujah and all of these. No, this is a place I'm really struggling. I'm getting broken down. I am hurting. I'm struggling in these areas. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I don't know how this is going to be met. Like we're to stand together. And, you know, we pray for, for Northern Iraq, but I do believe that God calls us to do more than just, I mean, there's praying, but then there's putting feet on prayers, you know. I don't know what we can do, but, but our heart needs to be broken for, for our brothers and sisters who are in different parts of the world, whether it's in Iraq, China, Africa, Houston. We need to be able to like either... The first part is to be so connected to them like emotionally that that when you pray for them your desire is that you want to actually help and i don't always necessarily know how we actually go about that but that our that the first thing is is that deep within us we want to do something whether it's i don't know sending money go like i don't know but, but there's this community and paul says listen the suffering that you're going through there are brothers and sisters all over the world who are suffering like you we are, it's, you're not all alone. We're in this together. God is faithful. Verse 10, after you have suffered for a little while. You know, a little while is all in perspective. A little while could be your entire life. Peter doesn't write from a, from a human perspective. He writes from an eternal perspective. After you have suffered for a little while, in our minds, it's like me suffering for a little while, that means the internet's been down for 45 minutes. <laughs> like, seriously, I mean, that's like suffering. But that's not what he's saying. That'd be out for like an hour to. Ha- no, that's such. <laughs> but this could be like a lifetime. This could be that you in Christ get the death penalty and go to your death. You could be in prison for years. The brother Saeed that we've been praying for in Iran for many, many years. It may be his whole life. But he says in light of this, it's a little while in light of eternity. That the God of all grace should highlight this one. The God of all grace. Who's who's writing this? It's Peter. You guys remember how Jesus said somewhere in the New Testament or the, the Gospels, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. You know that Peter was likely right there when that was said. And what did Peter do? <laughs> Poor Peter, man, like all of his mistakes. Like that's, I mean, that's a pretty, if you deny me before men, I'm going to deny you before the father. On the night of which Jesus was betrayed, Peter still going strong. Never. I'll even die. Hours later, a 14 year old girl, hey, are you with the guys from... He starts swearing and taking the Lord's name in vain to try to make the point that he doesn't even know Jesus. Not even that he's given his life. He's just talking like, 
oh yeah, I'm from Galilee. Like he could have totally played it off. Like, oh yeah, I'm from Galilee. We just happened to both be down here. I, pff, he's nut job. I don't, <laughs> he tries to make the whole point that he doesn't even like know him. He's not connected to him. There's no relationship. Then the roaster, the roaster, the rooster, <laughs> the rooster crows. And Peter suddenly remembers like all, all of this. And the picture is that when he hears this, he breaks down sobbing, like uncontrollable sobbing brokenness. And then days later at the Sea of Galilee, as the sun was coming up after a day of fishing, there Jesus is. The God of all grace, restoring him, forgiving him. So when Peter writes a little phrase like this, we can't just, like Peter is a real guy who experienced the grace of God in a powerful way. And the message he says here, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. This points to security in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You didn't earn your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. Your salvation is secured by the work of Christ totally and completely. Will himself perfect All of these words sort of go together. Perfect, confirm, strengthen, establish you, bring you to maturity. But this word perfect is not, it's a word that could mean like end, like to maturity, but it's also a word that can be used um, and and marked. I don't know if I put it up there. Uh, Yeah, Mark 119. It's a word that is used um, as they were mending their nets, fixing their nets after the day of fishing. The word could be used that way. And it's this beautiful picture. In Christ, God will himself mend you, fix you, build you up, strengthen you, establish you in him. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Everything points to the Father, to, to God in heaven. Everything doesn't matter that Satan's prowling around. In him, there's security, there's confidence, there's assurance. Resist the devil. Turn to him. And you think, Gunnar, this seems like the end of the book. You'd be right. I mean, this sort of is the end of the book. At this point, if we're imagining Peter in Rome writing, well, we would be wrong because he's not writing up to this point. It's Silas or Silvanus in verse 12. Through Silvanus. Silvanus has been the the one who has been the scribe sort of recording. Um, Silas is a guy, Silvanus. Silas is easier for me to say. If you do a study of this guy, there's not, there's not, there is not much written about him. Uh, What we do see is that this is a faithful brother. He is with everybody in all of these missionary journeys, running letters, encouraging the church, sort of, sort of, serving as a number two guy. It's beautiful. He, he was a Roman citizen. And scholars, when you look at the book of Peter, there's some, like, up to this point, the Greek is beautiful. It's, it's intricate. It's, it's, it's a high-level Greek in the book. And then verses 12 through 14, it's suddenly like a fisherman starts writing. Simple, basic words. And it's believed that up to this point that Peter's been telling Silvanus, like, you know, his secretary, sort of, this is what I want you to write, write this, and Silvanus is, if somebody is a good grammarian and is a good uh, typer or writer, and you are not, when you speak to them, they'll say exactly what you want to say, except it's going to come out way nicer. Like, it's just, a person who can write well, you can't get them to write bad. Like, it's just, you can't. It's, you can't. Are you guys laughing at me or with me? You're with me. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if we need to fight or something. I don't know. You know I gotta... but, but so at this point, Peter takes the pen and he says, through Silvanus, our faithful brother. Then there's this parenthetical statement, for I regard him. And see, the thought is, is that once he was done with the letter, Peter handed the letter to Silas and said, go to Turkey and deliver this to the first church. And as he got there, they, who's, Silva, who's, this, who's this Silas guy? 
And Peter says, our faithful brother. And he's sort of like, for so I regard him. I love this. It's like, you know, we, we need to start praying. We've been praying for the guest family. But like, for me, that's like, seems like the, 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 the timer is getting shorter and shorter. I'm sure for Ben and Beth and Bradley, like it's even shorter. Um, you, you, they are going to Romania in like three months, four months, whatever the ticker, February, early February. We are sending them as a church to go spend two weeks with the guest family to encourage them pastorally, um, to encourage them. This was all sort of put on our hearts prior to this whole thing with Abby. It's God's timing of everything is is um, just overwhelming, fascinating, miraculous, cool for me to see. But Ben's never met. They've never met Chris and Ge- Chris and Mihaila and their kids. Like, I know them. I love them. I, I'm like, I feel like I'm the uncle to the kids. And so when this all was sort of early on, it's like, hey, Chris, are you cool with me sending um, Ben and his family to go spend two weeks with you? You know, he's a really great guy. I made a bunch of lies about how great he is. I just joke it. He's a really great guy. Like, you know, he's got a good heart. He's, he's, we think very similarly, similarly. And I, I don't, I can't go, but I'm really feeling like we want to like get somebody over there to encourage you. And he's like, no, that would be awesome. And then after I gave all of this plug for how awesome Ben and his family was, we sort of put them in touch and they started to connect. And I think that's what's happening here. Peter knows these guys. The guy that's delivering this letter, they don't really know. And Peter's saying, for so I regard him. I've written to you briefly. Um, he's our faithful brother, for so I regard him. I am reading, reading to, writing, have written to you briefly. This is a short letter. We've taken a long time, but we don't have the context um, but this really is a short letter that Peter penned uh, to these believers. I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testify that this is the true grace of God. This is the whole purpose of Peter. So Peter takes the pen and he says, I have like one sentence that I can write to summarize what I've told him to write on my behalf. I've been exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. If you go through this, the grace of God is all through here. We just read in verse 10, the God of all grace. We can never lose sight of God's grace. Unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who have lost sight of grace. And if you hang out with Christians, and I believe that they're Christians who are steeped in legalism, they're just not pleasant to be around. They feel like God has commanded them to be the policemen of the world. How you raise your kids, how you wear your clothes, what translation of the Bible you read out of, what songs you sing. Like legalism is it just saps. It destroys. This is the true grace of God, that God is a graceful God. We're to stand firm in it. I always think of grace as sort of like um, something you receive that is given to you. But here in Romans 5.1, we're told to stand in grace. That it's more, it's, it's, God is full of grace, and that's, we are saved by grace, we're sustained by grace, we're to be people of grace. I love this. This is the true grace of God. This is what I've written you about. Stand firm in it. Then he says, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. This is interesting. This is, who is she in Babylon? Some have said, oh, this is the church in Babylon. I'm less inclined to this. I think it's more like a, 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 it's a, it's a female in Rome, which was often referred to as Babylon. Then this week, Ben and I had some conversations, so I'm kind of, I'm not sure where I've landed. But, but some names like Swindoll and, and bigger guys that I respect, they, they're basically, they say that they believe that this is Peter's wife. And it was very interesting there where they went is if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm almost done here. I'm like landing this. Don't be nervous. I already heard people close their Bibles. 
So 1 Corinthians 9, 5, Paul writes, Do we not have a right to take a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers in the Lord, and Cephas, that's Peter? So Paul writes, like, he's talking about money and giving and taking a salary as a pastor. He says, don't we have a right? Like Peter also has a right. He's, he's receiving salary. He's traveling around and it's not even just him. Like for me, it's just me. I'm single, but he's married. And if you go to extra biblical writings during that time, Peter's wife apparently was a, was a significant player in the early church. And I don't know, we don't know, but, but I think that this is a female. Like we know that there's a female that is sending their greetings. If I had more time to unpack this, I think that this, is, this would be another place that w- women have every part in the ministry and in the body of Christ. Um, and so does my son Mark. John Mark sends his greeting. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You guys can do that after church. Uh, Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. And I just love that this sort of ends with the importance of relationships. The church isn't just for you to come just to do an hour on Sunday and to go away. If I'm being an hour and a half on Sunday, two hours by the time everything's said and done. But but relationships are, are so important here within our church, with other Christians in our community, with the missionaries we support. And so when I look at Peter, just to conclude with three points, uh, this world is a rough place. There is no, there is no question that, that, that the hostility in this world is real. That if you follow after Christ that there's going to be resistance with the world. There's going to be resistance in you. The world begins in your own heart, that your sin nature, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be temptations in the world. There's Satan, who's a real struggle. There's just the world. The philosophy of this world is going to cut against the, the, the grain of what we believe in Christ. But if there's two things that I get from this book, it's that God cares for you. So cast your anxiety upon him. And he's a God of all grace. Our hope is totally and completely in him. And if we're walking closely with him, it really doesn't matter what the world throws at you. And so, Father, we thank you that we have security and hope in you. We thank you that Christ's death on the cross was sufficient for us. We thank you, Lord, that you care for us. Father, if we take anything away from Peter, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see and to understand your nature of being a gracious God, that you are full of grace, that you are loving, you are kind. Father, we thank you that you care for us and that you desire us to cast our anxieties, to cast our fears, to cast our worries to you, Lord, because you care for us. We thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.